0: Chapter 10 The Life of George Washington, in Words of One Syllable, by Josephine Pollard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of George Washington, in Words of One Syllable, by Josephine Pollard. Chapter 10 In and Near New York. The Redcoats had a camp on Staten Island and for the next month or so ships of war came that far up the bay and brought with them a large force of troops northeast of them was the long stretch of land known as long island where they could land their troops with ease and make their way to new york washington knew that he could not keep them back but he meant to vex them all he could general green was placed with a large force on brooklyn heights to guard the shore and troops were sent a mile back to throw up earthworks to check the march of the foe if they should try to come up on the land side. At midnight of August 21st, a spy brought word that the king's troops were on the move, and would soon show their strength and put all to the sword. The next day the sound of great guns was heard, and a cloud of smoke was seen to rise from the groves on the south side of Long Island. Word soon came to New York that the king's troops were at grave's end. And that our troops had fled and set fire to the stacks of wheat to keep them out of the hands of the foe. Washington at once sent off a large force to check the foe at Brooklyn, and to lend aid to those in the fort on the heights. He told them to be cool but firm, not to fire when the foe were a long way off, but to wait till they were so near that each shot would tell. And if one of them should skulk or lie down or leave his place in the ranks, he was to be shot down at once sir henry clinton led the king's troops and lord cornwallis had charge of the field guns cornwallis made haste to seize a pass that ran through the hills but found colonel hand there with a fine lot of marksmen and so made a halt at flatbush this was so near new york that great fright spread through the town those who had the means left the place there was good cause for fear as it had been told that if our troops had to leave New York, it would at once be set on fire. This was false, but they did not know it. Their hearts were full of dread. General Putnam was sent to take the place of General Green, who was sick in bed. The brave man was glad when he had leave to go, for he did not want to be kept in New York when there was a chance to fight for the land he loved. It was nine o'clock on the night of October 26th, that sir henry clinton set out with his vanguard on his march from flatbush lord Cornwallis brought up the rear guard with all the large guns and the large force of troops led by general howe not a drum was heard nor the sound of a trump as they took their course through by-roads and on causeways till they came near the pass through the bedford hills where they made a halt no guard had been put on the road or the pass by General Greene, who must have thought it too far out of the way to need such care. Clinton was quick to see this, and at the first break of day his troops were on the heights and within three miles of Bedford. In the meantime scouts had brought word to our lines that the foe were in force on the right, and Putnam at once sent out troops to hold them in check. At daylight small fights took place here and there. A brisk fire was kept up at Flatbush. Now was heard the big boom of a large field piece. Then a ship of war would send forth a broadside on the fort at Red Hook. Washington was still in doubt if this was part of the main fight in which New York was to share. Five ships of the line tried to beat up the bay, but were kept back by a strong headwind. As the day wore on, and there were no signs that the Redcoats meant to strike New York, Washington went to Brooklyn in his barge and rode with all speed to the heights. He was just in time to see the fight in the woods, which he could do not to stay. He stood on a hill, and through his large spy-glass had a view of the whole field. He saw his men cut their way through a host of foes. He saw them caught in traps and hemmed in so that they were twixt two fires. The whole pass was a scene of blood, and through it rang the clash of arms, the tramp of steeds the storm of shot and the cries of men who fought for their lives on this side and that our troops were swept down or put to rout by a force they had not the strength to meet Washington wrung his hands at the sight good god he cried what brave men i must this day lose the redcoats went into camp that night in front of our lines but out of reach of the guns of the fort our loss was three thousand theirs less than four hundred The next day New York Bay and the small isles were wrapped in a dense fog, from which New York was quite free. Here was a chance for the troops to leave the works on the heights and make their way to New York. Fresh troops were sent down from Fort Washington and King's Bridge, and Washington felt that no time should be lost. His fear was that the King's ships would come up the bay at the turn of the tide, sail up the East River, and catch in a trap all our troops that were on Long Island. It was late at night when the troops stole out from the breastworks. In the dead of night a big gun went off with a great roar that gave a shock to the nerves of those who were in dread that the least sound might warn the foe of their flight to the New York side. But no harm came of it. The fog shut out the view, and by daybreak our troops had all left the fort and were safe on the New York side. Washington, who had not slept for two days and nights, and had spent most of the time on horseback would not step into the boat till he saw all his troops were on board the fog rose as the rear boats were in midstream, and when the redcoats climbed the crest of the earthworks they found not a sign of life there and not a thing they could use our men had made a clean sweep and were proud of the way in which they stole a march on the redcoats still new york was not safe and washington sought in all ways to find out the plans of the foe ships of war went up the sound and up the hudson and guns were fired on the forts that lay on each side of the town but he knew that if the redcoats took new york they would soon be made to give it up and so he made up his mind that his best course was to withdraw his troops to harlem heights this was done with the loss of a few men who had a fight with some redcoats on the way and there He stayed a few days and spent much time on horseback. He took note of the land and chose sites for forts and breastworks, and on October twenty-third took his stand at White Plains, where a strong fort was built. Soon the din of war was heard. The guns from Fort Washington and Fort Lee poured their fire on the men of war, but could not keep them back, and the Redcoats still gave chase to our troops. Fort Washington fell into the hands of the foe in spite of a strong fight made to hold it. One day Washington went out with some of his staff to look at a height at the north where it was thought he might make a stand, and leave the camp where he then was. One of them said, This is the ground where we ought to be. Let us go then and view it, said Washington. They were on their way to the place when a horseman rode up in haste and cried out, The redcoats are in camp, sir. Then said Washington, we have something else to do than this and at once put spurs to his horse and set off for the camp at full speed. When he reached there he found all his troops drawn up to meet the foe that was close at hand. In his calm way he turned to those who had been out with him on the hills and said, Go back to your post and do the best you can. A short, sharp fight took place in which our troops made a brave stand, but the redcoats were too strong for them and drove them back to the camp and seized the hill on which they had stood. That night the troops of Washington and Howe lay not far apart. Washington kept his men at work, and forts were built, and earthworks thrown up. These works were made of the stalks of corn or maize, which the men took from a field near at hand. The roots of the stalks, with the earth on them, were placed on the face of the works, in the same way that sods of grass and logs of wood were used. The tops were turned in, and loose earth was thrown on them so that they were held in place and made a good shield from the fire of small arms. The next day, when Howe saw how much had been done by our troops to add to their strength, he made a change in his plans. His own men were in a sad plight, and not fit to cope with the well-fed troops that kept them at bay. The nights were cold, the fall rain set in, and not a few of the redcoats were ill their chiefs knew how to fight in straight lines but were not so shrewd and so quick to make use of what lay at hand as our chiefs were so he broke up his camp and in a few days the whole force of redcoats fell back from white plains but the strife was kept up at the north and the foes were at work on sea and on land from new york to albany our troops met with ill luck and washington was filled with grief fort washington was in the hands of the foe Fort Lee was of no use, and the next move of the Redcoats was to cross the Hudson, north of Fort Lee, and to make their way through New Jersey. By that means, they could shut in all our troops twixt the Hudson and the Hackensack. Washington at once sent off his men to save the bridge at Hackensack. No time was to be lost. They left the camp with all haste. But ere they could reach the Hackensack, the vanguard of the foe was close at their heels. It was thought that a fight would take place, but Cornwallis turned back and some of his troops slept that night in the tents that our men had left. These were dark days. Washington led his troops through New Jersey, hard-pressed by Cornwallis, whose vanguard came in to Newark just as Washington's rear guard had left it. His whole camp were in flight. He stayed a few days at Brunswick in hopes that fresh troops would be sent to his aid, but none came. Though his needs were so great, the men who, as he thought, would seize their guns and join his ranks fled from their homes and sought a safe place as soon as they heard that the redcoats were near on December second. Washington was at Trenton, where he made but a brief halt, then he crossed the Delaware and left New Jersey in the hands of the foe. If he and his men once got to Philadelphia, they would find troops there with whose aid they might hope to turn back the redcoats so close on their track general lee who was at the heels of the foe was at morristown december eleventh where his troops had been forced to halt for two days for want of shoes he was a man who loved his ease and to lie late in bed one day as he sat at a desk with pen in hand one of his aides named wilkinson who was with him looked down the lane that led from the house to the main road and saw a band of redcoats on horseback. He cried out to Lee. Here are the redcoats. Where? said Lee. Round the house. Where is the guard? said Lee, with an oath. Where is the guard? Why don't they fire? The guards had not thought it worth while to keep watch, when his chief was so much at his ease. So they had stacked their arms and sat down on the south side of the house to sun themselves. As the horsemen came up they gave chase to the guards who fled for their lives and left lee and his aide to do the best that they could the redcoats drew near the house where lee was and swore that they would set fire to it if the general showed fight so he was forced to yield and was brought out in great haste for they wished to make sure of their prize and placed on wilkinson's horse which stood at the door he was but half dressed had no hat on his head and wore low shoes and a loose rough coat in this style he had to ride to new brunswick where the king's troops at sight of him set off their big guns for their joy was great the loss of lee was thought at the time to be a great blow to our cause as it was hoped that he would do much to bring the war to an end and to lead the troops out of their sore straits in the meantime washington was on his way to cross the delaware there was snow on the ground And much of the troops could be traced by the blood spots from the feet of those whose shoes were worn out. The Redcoats were in force at Trenton, in charge of a man named Rall, who had done brave work for King George at White Plains and Fort Washington. Washington's plan was to add to his force, and as soon as he could cross the Delaware and strive to wrest Trenton from the hands of the foe. He and his force were to cross the stream nine miles north of the town. General Ewing was to cross with his troops a mile south of the town, and General Putnam to leave at a point south of Burlington. It was a bold scheme, full of risk to all who took part in it, yet there was naught to be done but to push on and hope for the best. End of chapter Ten.